applying God's Word to every aspect of life. This is Theology Applied. All right, welcome to another episode of Theology Applied with Right Response Ministries. I'm your host, Pastor Joel Webin. Today, I am honored and privileged to have as a guest, um, Pastor Michael Roundtree with uh, Wellspring Church in DFW, um, Bedford, right, Michael? Is that the yeah, actual city? Yeah, pretty much, North Richland Hills. I mean, it's just north of Fort Worth, basically. Great. So Michael is a pastor at Wellspring. I used to be a member at uh, Wellspring Church back when I was in college. Michael was actually my mentor. Uh, do you, what, what year was that? Was that 2007? Oh, man, that was, probably? that was a long time. Are you going to tell the story time, yeah. about the uh, excommunication? <laughs> I was not excommunicated. <laughs> I'm I was not excommunicated. So, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so anyway, so me and Michael. You're, you're go, like for clarity. Yeah, we go, yeah. we go way back, which is great. And, uh, and we've been friends for a long time. He's also uh, a co-host on Remnant Radio. And so some of you might recognize him um, from that ministry. And uh, so today, uh, the topic that we're going to be discussing is uh, Christians and uh, birth control. And uh, before we hop into the topic, I want to just give Michael a chance to talk about his ministry and uh, introduce himself a little bit more. Sure. Uh, I've been the pastor of Wellspring Church for, uh, I guess, since 2012. I've been actually a pastor at the church since 2005. And uh, so been here a long time at Wellspring. And uh, we uh, also, you can see this background around me. He mentioned Remnant Radio. It's a theology uh, broadcast. It's YouTube's our biggest platform. Uh, we have uh, pastors, theologians from all over the world and try to uh, try to help people bust out of their theological echo chambers and uh, hear from somebody different. We have Anglicans, Baptists, Methodists, uh, non-denominational, charismatics, uh, everything. So uh, anyway, so that's what we, uh, that's what we do. So there's the church, there's, uh, there's the podcast. I'm working on a book right now. I'm about two thirds of the way through on uh, the book of Revelation. And I'm uh, going to try to demystify it a little bit and walk through chapter by chapter, uh, but do it in a way that's uh, inspirational and devotional. So uh, anyway, you can look for that uh, coming down the road. But uh, anyway, so those are, those are some things. Cool. Thanks, man. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that yeah, you're yeah. here. Glad you're on the show. And again, our topic is going to be Christians and birth control. There's uh, a lot of different views on this subject and, it certainly tends to be controversial, at least for some, uh, but I think it's something worthwhile, something worth talking about, and uh, I believe the scripture addresses it. Uh, both Michael and I, we don't only um, tip our hat to the inerrancy of scripture, um, but we also believe in the sufficiency of scripture. Um, yeah. When it comes to the perspicuity of scripture or the clarity, perspicuity is just a, a very unclear word that means clarity, and so a uh, bit, <laughs> bit of irony there, but the perspicuity of scripture, we believe the scripture is clear. That doesn't mean the scripture is equally clear on all subjects, on all topics, but we do believe that the scripture is clear, um, and we do believe that it speaks to all of life and doctrine, and, uh, and that the scripture is not just authoritative, inerrant, um, but that it's also sufficient, meaning that it's uh, that it that it can be applied, that it has something to say um, for all of life. So, that kind of an illustration that's Amen. helpful is just you know a sword. You, you know, the scriptures likened to a double-edged sword, or sharper than any double-edged sword. And so, we don't want to just tip our hats to the authority of scripture and say, "There's a sword. It's a great sword. It's a double-edged sword. It's a sharp sword." And you can see it on the mantle, clearly displayed in the glass case. Well, we want to go a step further and say, and we're going to wield the sword like founders tom askell and jared longshore those guys you know wield the sword we're going to pick it up 
and we're going to actually use it. We, we don't just acknowledge that is a sword, but but we want to be useful with the sword. We believe it's not just sharp, but it's also um, sufficient. So all that being said, um, we believe the Bible speaks to this issue. That doesn't mean that, uh, that the Bible speaks to this issue as clearly as it might um, speak to salvation um, or other issues. However, we think the Bible has something to say. And so I just kind of want to pick Michael's brain and we're just going to dialogue and talk back and forth. And I'm not even convinced that we'll agree on every, you know, finite detail and nuance. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty certain we probably won't. But I think in general, we both have the same idea because we both have the same Bible and the same Lord. And uh, we love him and we love each other. So that being said, let's go ahead and just jump right in. The first question that I have is, uh, what is the cultural mandate found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28? And is it equally as binding on New Testament Christians today, now that the world contains nearly 8 billion people, as it was on Adam and Eve in the very beginning? So the cultural mandate, sure. be fruitful and multiply. We're talking about birth control. Well, mm-hmm. the idea of being fruitful, multiplying, I think a lot of Christians would say, haven't we done that, Michael, Joel? Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like, you know, like there's a lot of things we've messed up as human beings, but can't we check that one off a list? You know, I think we nailed it. So yeah, is, so is a cultural mandate as relevant today as it, as it was in the garden? Yeah. Well, is it helpful to let all the pagans have the kids and we Christians, we can just uh, try to convert the pagans. Is that <laughs> no, uh, so? Yeah, let me just read the cultural mandate. Uh, uh, yeah. Genesis one twenty eight. God blessed them. God said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it." So it wasn't just about filling the earth with sufficient sufficient population, but also mm-hmm. subduing it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, the heavens and the living creatures and all that moves. And so the point in man having dominion was to make the earth look like God rules over it. And so I think one question I would ask is, um, yes, we have lots of people, but has this mass multiplication of people caused the earth to look like God rules over it? (laughs) I I would say no. Okay. So, and, and I think most of us would. So uh, just as God rules over the heavens and the earth, man was to rule over the earth. And then to, to kind of zoom forward New Testament, I do think there is a, uh, a connection between the Great Commission, therefore go and make this all authority on heaven and earth. So you see the kingdom dimension, uh, there's, which carries with it a subduing and a filling and subduing the earth. There, there's certainly connection. We see kingdom in seed form in the cultural mandate in Genesis 1. We see it more fully in Jesus resurrected as cosmic Lord and King. And then he commissions us. Um, And what I would say is the Great Commission is not a replacement of the cultural mandate. The Great Commission is in some ways like a renewal of. Because Adam and Eve were always called, and their offspring always called, uh, Genesis 3, the seed of the woman was always called, the, uh, Israel was always mm-hmm. called to be a light to the nations. Israel wasn't chosen to just have a bunch of babies in their own little cloister over here in Palestine. Israel was, mm-hmm. uh, was chosen to be a light to the nations. So in a sense, they were called to make disciples. Now, um, did Jesus bring clarity as to what it looks like to make disciples? Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. Um, is there uh, a new 
era of history that was launched in Jesus? Yes, there was. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There's, there is greater light. There is greater clarity. There is greater revelation, etc. in Jesus. But I would look at the Great Commission as almost like a renewal of uh, and the, the cultural mandate, not a replacement of. I'm not saying they're exactly the same That's thing. Good. But uh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the Great Commission doesn't replace the cultural mandate. It's a renewal. And I, I would I would agree with that. I would for me, I would probably just maybe even use the language of like it's it's a clarification. I like what you said, like just clear. You know, I, I think that both of us would agree in terms of Old Testament saints in regards to soteriology, yeah. how they were saved. We would say that all people in all times and all places before the cross, after the cross have only been saved in one way. And that's through by grace, through faith in, in the Messiah, in Christ. And what we have on this side of the cross is we have the privilege, and it is a great privilege to be able to look back with greater clarity at the person and work of Jesus. Whereas Old Testament saints before the cross were trusting in Jesus, but for Adam and Eve, you know, all they really knew of Jesus is that he was the serpent crusher. You know, and, and right. Abraham, he knew that he was the promised seed, you know, and, and so there's, mm-hmm. you know, David knew that he was that he was a king and the government would be upon his shoulders and that he would sit one day as his, on his throne and rule the nations and righteousness. And, you know, and so we, we have this further kind of progressive clarifying revelation of the savior in terms of of salvation. But that doesn't mean that there's a new way now that people are saved. It means they're all saved the same way and we're just learning more about it. And uh, yeah. and I think in the same way, taking dominion over the earth. I think there's there's a clarifying in the Great Commission. The Great Commission is a clarifying, in many ways, a clarification of the cultural mandate. I don't think it's meant to replace it. I, I like the language that it's meant to renew it, refresh it. Um, but I think in some ways, it's kind of like what Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount. You have you know you've heard it has uh, you you have heard it has been said or it has been written. Um, but I tell you, you know, and Jesus isn't coming and replacing the law, but he's. He's clarifying, but I tell you, if you even lessen your heart, you know, or I tell you, you know, and, and so Jesus is, he's, he's further clarifying. He's, he's further uh, describing and detailing the tenets of the law in the Sermon on the Mount. And I think Jesus likewise, kind of the same concept, same principle. I, th- I think that he's giving us more clarity, more vision on the great um, or the, the cultural mandate. I, I think in the garden with Adam and Eve, this, this mandate before sin had ever even entered the world, um, I think there there were some assumptions baked into the equation. This idea that um, that Adam and Eve were going to produce godly offspring, you know. Um, but, yeah. but after the fall, after sin enters the world, and then after Christ, um, it's like, hey, keep being fruitful and multiplying. But let's mm-hmm. let's bring in the discipleship piece with more clarity because it can't be assumed in, yeah. any longer. I think there's some of that there. Oh, go yeah, ahead. absolutely. What, what you well, you know, I'm just kind of thinking about right now. I'm thinking about uh, Isaiah 56. Um, it's in a section that's speaking of the eschatological future of the people of God, and it, and it says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath. Um, actually, I want to back up a little bit. Isaiah fifty six three. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord uh, say, "The Lord will surely separate me from His people." Let not the eunuch say, "Behold, I am a dry tree." So it's speaking about a time when foreigners are going to come into the kingdom of God. This is the same passage that soon we'll be talking about, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. So it's talking about the the coming of Christ. I'm actually just kind of thinking out loud here. I don't have a drawn conclusion, so maybe you can help me out, Joel. Uh, But but I'm specifically interested in this eunuchs piece, because Jesus uh, in Matthew 19 will pick up on this, and he'll... 
uh, when he talks about, you know, there are people who are made eunuchs, there are people who choose to be eunuchs for the people, uh, you know, for the kingdom of God. And it's a strange idea. Yeah, right. So it's a strange idea in the time of Jesus because, like, being a eunuch was like pretty much not acceptable, right? Like it was, right. it was always bad. In fact, Pharisees would like, they would marry somebody in order to fulfill the cultural mandate and have children. And then they would divorce their spouse so that they could be like, okay, now I'm free and clear. I did my duty. Right? Like mm. it, it right. was unacceptable to just not have kids. And yet right. Jesus didn't have kids. And so I'm just, Again, I'm kind of reflecting on this out loud and just kind of processing. I don't know if that sparks any thoughts for you, Joel, but um, I, I think it speaks to something that that was a shift in the commission to make disciples. It's not as though prior to the Great Commission, we weren't they weren't supposed to make disciples of all nations to shine their light to all nations. They were, but I think what I would say is the one dimension of the clar- of clarity that it brought was that there was a place for singleness in the mm-hmm. kingdom of God, like lifelong yeah. celibacy in the kingdom of God. Because yeah. I can't think of an Old Testament text that speaks of celibacy in a positive light. I mean, you have Daniel who's right. you know forced into that position, but the command was, you do this. And so if anything, it seems like the Great Commission does open it up that you can be like Jesus and Paul, that you can choose to be that eunuch and to not bear children and to do it for the kingdom of God. But those are outside of marriage contexts, okay? Exactly. We don't have that, any, That's what I would say. We don't I, have I, any example in the Scripture, old or and certainly not either Testament, that says it's okay to be married and right. capable of having children and opt not to. Um, right. supposedly so that you can make lots of disciples. Mm-hmm. So uh, what yeah. do you think of all no, that? I'm, I'm with you. I completely agree. Like there is a place for uh, lifelong singleness um, in scripture by choice, uh, which I think that's what we're, we're meant to assume in the case of Paul and certainly in the case mm-hmm. of Christ. Uh, but then sometimes it's not by choice. And I think that singleness uh, can be um, a form of suffering um, mm-hmm. for some and, and perhaps even for many, especially if it's not something that's chosen. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think that that means that the person actually has the gift of celibacy. Um, but I think that God's grace is sufficient and, uh, and that they're capable of obeying, uh, all of Christ's commands in the context of their singleness, even if it's not something they voluntarily chose, but in whether it's chosen or whether it's not, um, I think that, that the new Testament and Christ himself and, and especially Paul, First Corinthians chapter seven, like he gives, um, he gives a, a certain level of esteem to those who are single. Uh, there, mm-hmm. There's a commendation that's that's given, um, but I think you know the, the cultural mandate. It's I, we have to keep in mind it's not given to Adam um, alone. It's not given to Adam as a single man. It's not given to Eve as a single woman. It's given to the cultural mandate is given to a married couple. So I, I agree wholeheartedly with what you said that um, it's not so much that God is giving the cultural mandate uh, to each and every individual person. Um, many who might be single, um, but I think he is giving them to uh, each and every married couple. Um, that, mm-hmm. that those who are married, yeah, it doesn't seem like New Testament or Old Testament. There's any um, any alternative option of yeah, opting out of out of procreation, opting out of childbearing. Uh, there's there's yeah. one thing I wanted to comment on earlier when you were saying you know you know fill the earth, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, exercise dominion. I just wanted to say in terms of 
the earth as, as creation, physical creation, the birds, you know, uh, of the air, the fish of the sea, uh, the cosmos in that sense, um, it's important that we understand dominion. I think in the same way that, you know, that Adam was given dominion over his wife, Adam named all the animals. He named Eve, he named his own wife. Mm -hmm. Um, husbands have a measure of biblically, a measure of, of dominion over their wife. Uh, we don't like that word because it sounds dominating. Um, and, and that has a negative kind of, uh, I think we just impute into that an abusive connotation. Um, but that's what lordship is, you know, like Sarah, the women of old, you know, she called Abraham her lord, lowercase l, but but lord. And so there's this headship, this authority, this lordship and dominion. And, and it's meant to be in, in regards to a husband um, relating with his wife, it's just meant to be a dominion that's modeled after Christ. Uh, it's a mm-hmm. it's a sacrificial, self-sacrificing, loving dominion. It's not ripped of authority, um, but it's mm-hmm. also not cold in absence uh, uh, with an absence of love. And so, too, I think um, the idea. So, when we say that Christians are called, we're called to be not just Christians, but people. The cultural mandate is given to all people to be fruitful, multiply, to fill the earth, and subdue it. Uh, we're we're not saying because uh, people say, "Man, well, that's that's why we have a problem overpopulation." All, things that both of us would would strongly push back on. Um, but my point is that um, this dominion, it's its the same dominion that a loving husband exercises with his wife, that Christ exercises with the church. It's a dominion that cultivates the earth. It doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't consume the earth for self-interested. Yeah. You know, like it, it, it takes Absolutely. the raw wilderness of the earth, cultivates it and and um, and taps it for its 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 greatest potential. It, it's Absolutely. I mean, Adam and so- Eve, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, well, I was going to say, so like humans are the only creatures that can turn grain into bread or grapes into wine because we're able to, we're, we're able to take the natural elements of the earth. You called them the raw materials and turn them into something beautiful and good, which is actually the picture we have of God in creation. And so, mm-hmm. you know, God doesn't, God doesn't create Adam ex nihilo. He creates him out of dust. That's true. And he creates Eve out of a rib. And the mm-hmm. entire earth was not the Garden of Eden. Just the Garden of Eden was the Garden of Eden. That's right. And they were to make That's the right. whole thing look like that. Uh, they were the whole mm-hmm. make the exactly. whole thing look cultivated. So Genesis 2 gives us a picture of what subduing the earth looks like. Part of it right. is the cultivating of the garden. And so they're to take the raw materials of the earth and turn them uh, into into wonderful things. Okay, now man, because our image was broken in the fall, what we end up doing is just like they did in the Tower of Babel. They use their great technology, which at the time was bricks. You know that incredible technology, bricks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for them, it was, and they build a tower in defiance of God. And ever since, you know, ever since the fall, we've been using our technology, we've been using our developments to harm people to figure out how we can kill more of them uh, rather than building them up. But uh, right. if more Christians are having kids and raising their kids to love and fear the Lord and making disciples of all nations, then gradually that leaven spreads across the whole lump. Gradually, right. we the kingdom of God fills the earth and uh, becomes a better place. Yep. It starts small, grows slowly, and becomes significant. One pastor. Whoa. Whoa. How do you remember that? Hey, I preached that. that was yeah. Fun. Yeah, <laughs> I was, was like, like, that sounds familiar. Six, that was like five or six years ago. I still Dude, remember it. It was good. Pretty it was solid, a good line. Bro. <laughs> yeah, the mustard seed, a little bit of leaven. There you, there you um, go. But yeah, man. so we, yeah, I like what you're saying that, you know, that the Garden of Eden, 
um, the whole world was now, and, and it's difficult, I think, for us to wrap our minds around it because we know that thorns, thistles entered into the world as, as a result of the curse because of sin. So we, we know that work was not the curse, right? We, we know that the fact that the ground yeah. would work against man was the curse. The fact that work would be vexing, that it would be frustrating, that it would be hard. Um, well, that it would be, I would, I would go further and say that it would be really hard. I think, I think hard work. Uh, was always God, God's intent. Um, so I think yeah, man yeah, was yeah, going to work sure. and I think he was going to work hard. Uh, there weren't going to be thorns and thistles. The ground wasn't going to be working against him, but I think he'd probably crawl in bed a little tired at the end of the day if, if sin had still never entered the world. And, um, and, and his primary vocation that God gave to him, his kind of marching commands were um, to work and keep. And, and I think work is to cultivate, it's to maintain, but I think there's also in that kind of baked into the equation um an implication, a commandment to expand, to advance, uh, that the garden was going to grow, uh, that its borders yeah. were going to widen and expand. And so that he's going to work and then to keep, um, he's going to defend. It's like advance and defend, advance yeah. and defend. And, um, and, and that's, and that's what we were going to do. And we we're going to basically, Adam was going to, you, you could say that with the cultural mandate, like he was going to be fruitful, multiply. So he was going to create people. And that's, that's a big part of the equation. And I would argue the biggest is image bearers of the living God, reflecting, radiating the glory of God in his creation. But, um, but they also were going to expand uh, the, their home, um, the, the garden. And, and I like to think that this theophany, I would consider it to be Christ, actually, who walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Uh, Christ before he had obviously uh, been incarnate and taken on flesh, but Christ who is eternal. And just like we would say the Holy Spirit or if God the Father would say he's you know, a most pure spirit without body parts and passions, um, you know, we would say that Christ, um, the second member of the Trinity, the son of God was a most pure spirit without body parts and passions until in real time in human history, he took on uh, flesh. And so before that, you know, whether it's the burning bush or whether it's the angel, of the Lord and Joshua, or, or, or perhaps, um, you know, the angels and, and one of them, you know, who approach Abraham or uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego thrown into the flame. And there's a fourth man whose face is shining like the sun. I would say that, that all those are theophanies and it's actually Jesus. Um, and so Jesus is, I believe, walking in, in, in spirit. And that's difficult for us to understand, but he's walking a theophany of Christ, a visible, a visible, um, I don't know, appearance of Christ, but without human flesh walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. And, and it's this idea of they're going to create more and more image bearers, more and more worshipers of, of the triune God, and they're going to expand the garden. And, and I like to think that, that Jesus is just going to keep on every evening, the cool of the day, walking with all of them. And Jesus is going to be yeah. walking over the face of the earth as his image bearers are walking over the face of the earth. And, and not just in wilderness or deserts, but they were going to, you know, there might've been some deserts even before sin entered the world, but, but the garden was going to expand. They were going to figure out irrigation and cultivation and all the, and it was just mm-hmm. going to be a worldwide garden with filled with people filled with vegetation and beauty and, yeah. and ingenuity and all these things. And best of all, Jesus was yeah. going to fill the garden and be with them. And so, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in ancient uh, Near Eastern thought, and specifically for our purposes, uh, Israelite thought, uh, uh, a garden was a place, uh, in ancient Near Eastern thought, it was the place where the gods met. And, um, mm. But for, you know, Israel, it, it was the place where God was. It was essentially their temple. And, and in a sense, the whole earth was, was, 
uh, when you read the creation story, it's it's portrayed as sort of like God's temple. Uh, the the words that you used uh, to tend and to keep the Levite priests were to tend and to keep the tabernacle, mm-hmm. and so it's yep. the temple of God. And whereas every other nation filled their temple with images with idols, Israel was expressly forbidden by that. Why? Because we are his image. We are, in a sense, his idol. <laughs> we don't like that word, but uh, his image on the earth. And so uh, so God created us in that way as true living, breathing idols, so to speak, images of him, uh, unlike the nations that had these, you know, phony wooden things that they propped right. up in their temple. And so... My point is that as we propagate, as we multiply, we're filling the earth with more of these image bearers to continue to tend and to keep the entire earth to make it look right. like him. So, I uh, so yeah, I think, um, you know, Joel, when you first asked me about like this topic and you're like, what do you think about birth control? And uh, I think my response was, I think Christians should have lots of kids. And, and this is just—I I just want to touch on like why this is um, why this is so important because I feel like Christians are too affected by the culture, and the culture mm-hmm. is like have one kid, maybe have two if you can afford it. Three—that's just a handful. Four, you're just crazy. Uh, I, and I just think, did you come to that conclusion because you read the Bible, or did right. you come to that conclusion? Because that's the way it is in culture. You know, I saw a, uh, this was a couple of years ago. I saw the cover of uh, a magazine. Uh, it's actually Newsweek, and it said uh, the title was "Having It All but Not Having Kids," and it was the mm. trend of young people. You know, wait till you're 35 to get married, maybe right. 37, 39, the last possible year, like before you might be able to have kids. Now, now it's one thing if it just happens that way for you. Okay, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. It's another thing if you're just like living the single life, living it up, doing your thing, and then you finally get married at the last minute, and then you're like, well, okay, and, and then you're going to have kids at like 42, one kid, and I'm just like, this isn't the way God designed it. It's no. it's really not. God designed this. Um, actually, I think it's better to get married younger if you can. We don't all have that choice. If you can. Amen. And, and I, I actually, I feel saddened for females, Christian females, um, because a lot of dudes don't know how to man up. They don't know how to ask a woman on a date. Dude, total side note. Okay, side note, but it's kind of related. My 13-year-old daughter, um, I overheard her on the phone today, like just this single line. Um, She said, if a guy's not even willing to ask me out on a date, he's not worth going out with, or he's not not (laughs) worth having as a boyfriend. I was like, yeah. But, um, you know, I think dudes should just go ask girls out. Like, my dad taught me that. He's like, dude, pursue the girl, man. And uh, anyway, I, I just, I think we've gotten backwards. Dudes, mm-hmm. part of your responsibility, pursue the woman. Like, woo her. And um, and then get married younger. Blesses a man who has right. children in his youth. youth Psalm 127. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I was Youth is yep. a... Youth is a key phrase. And so rejoice in the wife um, of your youth. Yeah. Yeah. And Psalm 127 is a key one. We we should focus on it. Like if the Bible speaks this way of children, then why don't we think this way? Um, 
I get it. You know, Charles Spurgeon said, uh, before children are a quiver full, they're often a handful. <laughs> um, they are. But uh, let me read Psalm 127. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blesses the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, this is a psalm of ascent, and uh, and so it's uh, Psalm 120 through, uh, I want to say it's 135. And um, and so, wow, rain's really coming down. Uh, anyway, so it's a handful of psalms, and uh, this specific one is by Solomon. And it's interesting because it, it sounds like it's two different psalms into one. Like one's about like the Lord building the house and protecting the city, and then the other's like have a bunch of kids. But they're actually connected because how does the Lord build your house, Joel? <laughs> mm-hmm. By you having right. lots of kids. Uh, and in fact... How does the Lord protect the city through the kids that you have? And so the two themes of house and city, the Lord is the one who builds the house, the Lord is the one who protects the city, arise again in the last few verses when it says um, uh, when it says that um, okay, you won't be put to your, you won't be put to shame uh, by your enemies at the city gate. So there's the city right. part. Um, and then uh, the fruit of the womb, a reward, a heritage uh, from the Lord. Uh, like you, you see, like both of these, it's the house and uh, the house and the city being built up, being protected. And uh, that part about arrows in the hands of a warrior, um, the idea there is that you know, like if I'm standing here and I take an arrow and I shoot it, the arrow ends up over there. That's the heritage. Mm-hmm. That is the blessing that that the next generation goes further than I could go. And so right. these are, this is, uh, and it's also, I think, fitting that Solomon wrote this, because when you talk about building a house, David wanted to build a house for the Lord, but the Lord said no. Mm. Solomon got to be right. the one who did it. And so it's actually a living illustration of it. the next generation takes it further. Now Solomon got into mm-hmm. his own messes and all of that. Um, but point uh, point being, that if overall point being, if the Lord considers this a blessing, why don't we? Yep. I think that's Amen. an important question to ask. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, that's kind of my next question was, you know, it had to do with Psalm 127, uh, three through five. So I'm glad you brought it up. And um, just okay. kind of with that, you know, I, I wrote this, uh, if children are a blessing from the Lord and a man is said to be especially blessed, if his quiver is full, if he has implication being many children, what reasons, if any, might be considered as legitimate for intentionally mitigating the blessings of God. And I think, I think that's for me, that's what it comes down to is um, I'm just not convinced that people in our culture today, and I think it's seeped into the church as well. I'm not convinced that people and sadly, even some Christians actually see children as blessings because there's, there's a lot of things that, that we do consider to be blessings. And I don't really see people clamoring to, to put up, buffers and boundaries and to like, ah, don't want to, don't want to be too blessed. 
uh, uh, we've got blessings you're pouring in, you know, like, you know, money is a blessing, right? That's the love uh-huh. of money. That's the root of all evil, but money is a blessing. And you don't see a whole lot of people, gosh, I just, I really need to find some kind of strategy to make less money. I'm just making too much money. You know, I got to slow down this, this cash flow. That's, mm-hmm. you know, I want to mitigate that, that blessing. You don't, you don't really see people having that kind of mindset when it comes to many other things that the Bible um, calls blessings, um, but we do often hear that kind of that those kind of conversations uh, when it comes to children. And I'm not saying, you know, for me, and we'll, 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 I'd like to get into this uh, at the end. But in terms of you know the sin of Onan, um, I you know I I I do believe that there can be um, some measure of ethical, careful family planning um, for the Christian. Um, but I, but I think the whole purpose in that is 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 to be strategic. And, and so maybe you're pausing for a moment, but, but it's to be strategic so that you can have as many children as possible and, and, and provide for them and have not just a bunch of crappy arrows for lack of a better term, but, um, but the, you know, it's it, quality matters too. We want to have good arrows, um, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think, you know, someone saying like, Hey, okay, you know, um, we're, we're going to wait a couple of years, uh, you know, before we have our next kid. Um, depending on the reasons, you know, like there, there may, there may still be some idolatry and, you know, comfort idolatry and selfishness and things like that, but there could be some actually good reasons, um, for, you know, but, but, but that's, you know, to, to, cause we want to have quality children. We want to have as many children as possible. Mm-hmm. We need, may need to pause now so that we can have three more later or whatever it might be. Um, but that's not the, that's just not the conversations that I hear for, from me. Yeah. I, I feel like what I often hear is like what you were saying earlier, let's have one, maybe two. And that's all we're planning on having. And I just, again, I just, I have a hard time believing that that, that individual actually sees children as a blessing. Cause I can't think of really any other blessing where people would say, okay, there's a blessing. God's God's willing to give it to me. I just, I just want one, just one blessing. <laughs> just give me one. one. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I the way I look at it is I I look at it like okay, you've you've got the cultural mandate. You have all of these scriptures that treat children as a blessing. Do we have the reality that kids are hard? So I I have four kids. Kids are really hard. They're crazy hard. There's nothing in the world harder than being a parent. Um it's it's also hard to carry your cross, which it mm-hmm. happens to be the religion that we abide by, right? Like, um, like this is this is what God has called us to, and it's actually not that hard to be a crappy parent. Sorry, I shouldn't have maybe use that word, but um, I used it. Oh. Okay, it's not that hard, Sorry. right? But if you want to be a good parent, that is hard, and hard. Um, and so I I look at it like you know, as a general rule, we should want to have lots of kids because mm-hmm. God values kids. Therefore, I should value kids. If I'm close to God, I will feel about things the way God feels about things. And if I feel differently about things than God does, that's because I'm not close to God, or at least not in that area. Right. That's an area of growth. Right. And, so, um, and so that's the first thing. Because I think we have to start there before we get into the nitty-gritty of, of birth control, which is why you kind of have this series of questions starting very big. Um, right. I think that's important because we establish the value first, because we might disagree on some of the finer points, as you said at the very beginning. But the big thing, and if there was anything else that I wanted people to walk away from, is kids should be valued. Highly, highly, Mm -hmm. highly 
valued and that if you are married, you're called to have them if you're capable of having them. And, yeah. uh, and if you're not, I would invite you to, to receive prayer for that. And lots of people in the Bible uh, receive mm. prayer for that and, and God God open miracle. Their but, rooms. Yeah, yeah. But um, uh, anyway, but that's actually part of the calling of marriage and, and a high and holy calling and how we make this earth look more like the kingdom of heaven, more like God reigns. So yeah. that's the big picture. Um, mm-hmm. Now to, Get more narrow and answer your specific question. Might there be any reason I could see? Like you mentioned, one the strategic reason, which you said uh, it, it sounded like what you were talking about was if you have a another kid, like every single nine months, you know, it uh, right. it might not be the highest quality of parenting that those uh, kids are getting. I could see where you're going with that. Um, you know, we might also say the health of the mother. Um, right. You know, like if uh, I mean, there's. Uh, like I know of a uh, a woman, she is Roman Catholic, and um, she has five kids, and she's continued to have more. and the, And the doctors have have warned her against it. Of course, Roman Catholics believe birth control is always wrong, um, except they actually they believe in the natural planning. They're okay with that. Um, we can talk more about that later if you want. But um, anyway, so she's planning to have more kids, but her uterus is so thin that they said it, it's like a transparency. Like it's it's so thin it could just rip, rupture and kill. And so she sees it as this is my martyrdom to give children life. But it would be a martyrdom in my opinion, in my opinion. Although I actually really respect her as a, a woman of faith that she's like, I want to do this for God. I get it. And she does love Jesus. I've, you know, and, and she has a, a proper understanding of the gospel. Um, anyway... But with that said, I, I look at it, I'm like, okay, martyr, but what about your other five kids that you presently have and your husband? You know, um, health of the mother, I think, is a reasonable reason. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Do you, so, the, I guess the other ahead. question is, the other question is economic. And, um, and right. it, because that's honestly the biggest one that people are thinking about. Because, right. you know, once upon a time, having more kids meant more hands in the field. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Now, now it means more mouths to feed. And right. um, the way inflation is working right now, uh, I don't know about your grocery bill, but mine's like $300 more than it was three years ago. <laughs> hmm. um, and like with, with just the way the world is, like most families either do or feel like they they need to have uh, dual income. Like there's so many factors. And um, here's, I think, what I would say. Um, I, I First of all, I would just stick with the high-level standard of kids are a blessing. And then I would go from there to God provides daily bread. So I would aim to trust God to have lots of kids and trusting that he would provide. And I believe he gives great jobs to people who have more kids because they need it, people who are walking by faith. Um, Mm. You know, could there be a scenario where somebody chooses not to have more kids because they just can't afford them? Um, For the people of God, I think I have a little little trouble with that. I kind of feel like, you know what, if it's the cultural mandate and God should supply... Uh, the finances for it. 
Um, that would probably, I don't know. I, I, I would yeah. wrestle with it. It's not like something I would excommunicate someone from my church over by any right. stretch. But right. it, it's something that, like, if I was just sharing my pastoral heart, my pastoral heart would be, you know what, I would just really encourage you to trust the Lord with that. Right. And they but, just may but, have to make some changes. I think part of it is like a willingness to adjust your life, you know, to, yeah. to, you know, for the sake of your children, lay your life down, to lay your preferences right. down. And so there may, there just may be some changes. It may be that you have to take a job that's not your favorite job, or it may be, um, one less maybe, maybe that you have to move, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or you, yeah, you may it, not, it depends, you, know, you right. may have to go somewhere else, live somewhere else. You know, there could be right. other scenarios. Right. And and for some people though, truly it is. Uh, I mean, for some it's like, this is a real struggle. And for others, it's like, you know, I, I really like going on a thousand vacations and I like, you know, my exactly. luxurious yep. posh lifestyle and all of that, you know, right. which, you know, it, and, and when you talk about mega, mega wealthy people, like having nannies raise their kids and all of that, I just, right. I think that's totally unbiblical. I think parents, you need yeah. to raise your kids <laughs> because yep. you're responsible, you're entrusted to uh, raise them up in the instruction of the Lord. Yep. I agree. Um, in terms of the overpopulation thing, if somebody, you know, I could just hear somebody yeah. like pushing back and saying, again, you know, I feel like we already filled the earth. We already subdued. I understand that like maybe we'd want more of the 8 billion people to be Christians. Um, wh- one thing that I would say on that, I'd like to hear your thoughts, but one thing I would say on that is just even, even for those who are unregenerate, even for those who are not Christians, um, we still believe in the Imago Dei. We believe in common grace. Um, we believe that that even fallen people, unregenerate people, non-believers are still um, image bearers of the living God. And, and the way I see it is kind of the doctrine of original sin. is It's kind of like in terms of the image of God and, and, and in what way has it been marred and what way is it still, there's a vestige that Intact. still remains. Yeah. Um, I, I see it as like um, original sin on, in, in my heart. Um, for, for the unbeliever, the heart is is deceitful above all else. It's it's corrupt. The, the person does not seek to honor God. So I always say that, like, um, you know, they cannot do. An unbeliever cannot do anything in faith. Is what is what I would say. They cannot do anything in faith. And I would define doing something in faith as doing it with the reliance on God's grace and a desire for God's glory. So an unbeliever could cure cancer, um, but they're going to do it a reliance on their own strength or. In their defense, maybe, you know, they, I couldn't have done it without my team. You know, it's always, you got to give credit to the team. So they do it on a reliance on maybe not their own strength, but they do it on a reliance on the strength of humanity. Uh, and they mm-hmm. do it for the glory of humanity um, or one portion of humanity, you know. And, and But what they're not going to do is they're not going to do it with a reliance on God's grace and, and a desire for God's glory. They're not going to do it in faith to the glory of God. Um, they may do things to the good of people, to the love of, of neighbor. A non-Christian can love their neighbor at some level, um, they'll never truly love their neighbor to the fullest extent, loving their neighbor's soul, uh, their, their neighbor's eternal good, uh, because that would, would involve, you know, believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ and 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 pleading and imploring their neighbor to, to do the same. And so they're, they're not going to do that. But my point is, there's a lot of good things, building suspension bridges, curing cancer, you know, walking a sweet old lady across the street, um, going to war, you know, and and. I mean, there's stories, I mean, heroic stories of, of people who are unregenerate there. As far as we know, they were unbelievers and they laid down their lives, you know, they, they you know, uh, jumped in front of a bullet to save a comrade in arms. And I mean, just incredible things. And so my point is, I think on the outside, at the risk of being overly simplistic on the outside image bear, uh, because of God's common grace and because of the Imago Dei, incredible, incredible things. They can be very loving toward neighbor um, on the inside. 
your heart is deceitful above all else. Um, out of it come wickedness and malice. And, and, and so um, on the inside, there's not a desire to glorify God. And so even when you do good things, they're, they're not done in faith, not with a reliance on God's grace or a desire for God's glory. So my point is this. My point is, I think the world, here's the funny thing, and I think Christians have bought into this to an extent. I think the world has the exact opposite message. I think the world says on the inside, your heart is good. You've got a good heart. You've got a good heart, man. Mm-hmm. You know, you just got a good heart. And on the inside, you know, you just need to find yourself. Your biggest problem is the company that you keep. You know, you just keep hanging out with those toxic people, you know, and your biggest problem is you, you don't have enough self-esteem. You don't have enough, um, you don't believe in yourself enough. And so on the inside, you're really, really great. But on the outside, you can still make some mistakes and 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 you'll especially make mistakes, you know, because it's really mm-hmm. other people's fault and somebody else is to blame and you're a victim and all that kind of stuff. So I think the world kind of says like on the outside, people are, you know, may be bad. They may make mistakes. They may do, you know, negative things. And part of that being not caring for the environment and using up resources mm-hmm. and, and all these kids. So on the outside, people aren't great, but on the inside, they're awesome. That's the pagan worldview, right? On the outside, mm-hmm. not great. On the inside, heart of gold. I think the Bible says the exact opposite. It says on the outside, image of God, capable of curing cancer and creating suspension bridges and finding new sources for fuel and finding new ways to, to plant more crops and feed not just 8 billion people, but potentially 80 billion people, you know? And so on the outside, amazing on the inside, the heart is the problem. And, and, and that's, that's the Christian worldview of original sin in the Imago day and the pagan anti-Christian worldview is on the outside. That's the problem on the inside. That's, that's the heart of gold. And my point is, as that relates to overpopulation, is I think the pagan would say on the outside, people are leeches. On the outside, people are, they're, they're, they're consumers. They are leeches. They, they consume. But on the inside, they have really good hearts. But we, we need mm-hmm. fewer of them uh, because yeah. we can't. Whereas the Christian would say on the outside, you're made in the Imago Dei. And, um, and people are, are not consumers, first and foremost. But because you're made in the, um, in the image of God, um, people are not consumers. They are creators, lowercase c, creators. Not Like you said earlier, not ex nihilo, but we're able to take the resources that God has provided us with and cultivate them um, and, and, and create a lowercase c, create, not out of nothing, but with what God has provided and, and do incredible things. And so as a Christian, I keep thinking, you know, over the last 48 years of, of since Roe versus Wade, 60 million babies murdered in their mother's wombs. Um, you know, it, it's, it's funny that Christians have, it's not funny, it's sad, but Christians who have bought into this overpopulation thing and, the, and this, and this pagan anthropology view of man, I think that they would, they, they don't, you know, they would never say it out loud. They would never verbalize it. But I think if we gave them, you know, strapped them to a chair and gave them truth serum and asked them point blank and forced them to answer, I think they would have to say, uh, the fact that they, these children were aborted is murder. It's wrong. It's heinous. Uh, but then, but then that would all be followed with a like a quiet sigh of relief, and I know that's the strong words, but like in their heart of hearts, but it is kind of nice that there's sixty million less people, you know, because look at the world and look at the toll, and you know, look look at you know this and look at that, and you know, I mean, COVID, that's 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 because of climate change. I mean, it's got to be, mm-hmm. you know, and and that wouldn't have happened if you weren't driving your F one fifty, and you know, and so and so my point is just to say that. As a with a Christian worldview and my anthropology, my view of man, I, I see people as creators. So I look at the 60 million uh, children in the last half of a century that have been murdered. And I think, which one of them uh, could have cured cancer? Which one of them could have found some new uh, source of energy? Which one of them could have found a, a new way of growing crops to feed, you know, a hundred times more people? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. um, people yeah. make way for, for people. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, 
For sure. No, I think that's a great point. I mean, when we uh, when we think about like overpopulate, like what are we afraid of might happen if we overpopulate the earth? If you overpopulate the earth, people might die. Hmm. Let's think about that for a minute. What's better? Like even in your worst case scenario, is it is it better that somebody never lives than that they live and then die like all of us do anyway? I think I'd still be better to have people live and die, right? Like like their worst case scenario is actually not that bad. Um, right. I didn't plan to come on your episode and, and quote Gandhi, um, <laughs> but he does have a really good quote. <laughs> He says, there's enough for everybody's need, but not for everybody's greed. And the Mm. reality is that there actually is enough resource in the world for all people, even if you multiply lots of people. Uh, Last Mm. I checked, it was something like three Americans, three, own 50% of wealth in America. You just think about that. Um, You think think about this. Of the top... 100 it's been a while since i looked this up it'll be give or take given give or take but uh of the top 100 top gdps in the world if you include corporations and not just nations on that list something like only 20 something 27 of them are actual nations the rest are corporations so these corporations have massive amounts of wealth they could totally do lots of philanthropy um i'm not like anti rich people or anything like that what I am saying is, if, if people shared the morals of Christ, then the poor would be taken care of, <laughs> and the overpopulation wouldn't be such an issue, um, or wouldn't even become an issue. So I would say, hey, what if the issue wasn't, uh, or what if the solution was not, let's kill and prevent life? What if the solution was, let's not be greedy punks? Right. Like, let's actually give to the poor as a way of life. Mm -hmm. Now, can I convince? um, And let's also I would add to that. Let's not be lazy punks and uh, rely on the welfare state and not work. For sure. Both sides. Then we'd have a lot less poor people. Yes, absolutely. Go ahead. That's that's the capitalist in me. I had to had to say something there. Yeah. No. (laughs) You're starting to sound a little socialist, so I just had to I had to push back. Hey, I, I told you, I'm, I'm not anti-rich people. Uh, I've, I, been, I've been listening I, to too much Thomas Sowell lately. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm not anti-rich people. I am pro-generosity yeah. because that's a value of God. And, Amen. Um, and so I have a problem. And when problem. it's not legislated, it can actually be generosity. It's not I have forced. A problem it's, you can when actually be generous. The, I have a problem when the elites of the world, who are mega wealthy billionaires and millionaires, are telling everybody else, you guys need to stop having kids and right. here's a bunch of RU486 pills and here's, uh, you know, how you can more quickly get rid of your babies. Um, because you know what, if, if you're really that concerned with the problems caused by overpopulation, why don't you try generosity? It's a wonderful thing. Yep. So, um, yep. so I would, I would say that, that when it's all said and done, overpopulation is not the problem people make it out to be. I'm not saying it's not an issue at all ever, uh, what I'm saying is, if people practice the values of the kingdom of heaven, generosity, uh, number one, and number two, I still think, even if worst case scenario happened, it's better to live and die than to never live at all. Mm-hmm. And so, I think those uh, are some good points. And and I I would, from my perspective, I would say that I actually would say that it's it's not an issue ever 
and in part for, from my point of view, I would say that, um, but I agree with a lot, a lot of the points that you were making, but I would say, I, I don't think Christ will let it be an issue. Uh, so regardless of your eschatology and whether you're pre-mill or, you know, all mill or post-mill, um, I, I really don't think if this is something that God's called us to, I have a hard time believing that God, who is a father, a good father and giving commandments to his, his spiritual children. I have a hard time believing that God would give commandments to his children and then maniacally be kind of like waiting and, and, and laughing under his breath, you know, knowing that if they obey the final result will be their doom. <laughs> I just don't think God works that way. Yeah. His so I, I just not burdensome. Yeah, exactly. So I think like whatever God has called us to do, it's, it, it, it doesn't just what God has commanded people to do when we obey, it doesn't only lend towards his glory, but it also lends towards our good. And so I have to believe that if it, if it even were possible to overpopulate the earth, and I think logically I'd have to say, well, I guess it, you know, I guess like, you know, one, 100 trillion people like it. I mean, physically the earth is a finite place, but, um, but, but I would say, even if it was possible, I have to believe that the Christ would come back before then. And or I should say, yep. or people, or, dude, Elon uh, maybe, Musk maybe were called to Elon Musk the cosmos. Gonna, That's yeah, what I was about I was, to say. I was going to say Elon Musk going to yep. help us get to the moon. And hey man, that's gonna, an image bear right there. That is, that is an image bear <laughs> working on every, I mean, hey, he's got every piston you, of common hey, grace you know firing. Spe- speaking <laughs> of, uh, yeah, he does. yeah. Speaking of uh, cultural mandate though, um, Psalm eight, which was based upon the cultural mandate and repeats it. Um, which is also quoted in Hebrews 2 about Jesus. But um, anyway, one of the things that it says is we will rule over the works of his hands, which in context he has been actually talking about the cosmos. So that's mm-hmm. fascinating. Uh, I, I've wondered I sometimes see. I've wondered yeah. sometimes if in the new heavens and new earth, if, uh, it, you know, expanding out into the cosmos might be part of that. So, and totally. you know what? I, I could perhaps, totally see that. Perhaps before then. If overpopulation is really going to be that great of a problem. Right. And it's like we get practice, you know, on earth. It's like, you know, you get practice, like you start with a garden. God gets you off to the right start. This is a garden, you know, and and here over here is a desert. And to make that look like this is going to be a lot of work, you you know, and you're going to have to figure that out. And it's going to take you some time. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe maybe it's just, you know, 10,000 years or so, give or take of practice, you know, Mm -hmm. going from garden to desert. And then, and then it's just, you know, a jump from earth to Mars, you know, like just now we're just mm-hmm. like subduing that, that whole planet that, that happens to be a desert without yeah. water and with it, you know, so, and I mean, it's fun, Absolutely. it's fun things to think about, but I just, I just wanted to say that and I, I, you know, I guess we'll go quick on the end, but I think it's really helpful that we spent time building a framework, just saying, first and foremost, children are blessings. They're also weapons, you know, they're arrows. Um, and that's one of the ways that we push back, you know, our, our battle is not with flesh and blood. Um, but, but with principalities and one of the ways that we wage spiritual warfare is, um, by, by enlisting people in the Lord's army. And we do that through conversion. We do that through discipleship, but, um, but, but the great commission and and the cultural mandate, as far as I can tell, the best disciples, Lord willing that I'll ever make are going to be my kids. And, um, you know, and so I, I, I'm discipling the nations, but to disciple the nations, you can't disciple the nations if you can't disciple your house and, uh, and, 
And that, those are some good disciples to make. So you're doing both. It's not one at the expense of the other, or replacing the other. And we're subduing, and that's a, and that's a loving dominion that harnesses the earth. It doesn't destroy the earth or just consume it. Lowercase c, creators, people, because they're made in the image of God. Um, we multiply. We create. We don't just consume. We're not just leeches. And that's not just Christians, but even unbelievers, because that's a common grace, imago day kind of thing. So all that framework, we want kids. They're a blessing. We need to be careful um, when or even if we ever seek to mitigate the blessings of God, what other blessings do we do that with? And um, and then children are not just blessings, uh, but they're also weapons, they're warfare. Mm-hmm. And I love like the end of Psalm 127, uh, verse six, where it says, you know, that uh, he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. I see that. I know Doug Wilson says this. That's, that's this man, his little sons that were once toddlers, little twinkling toes running around the halls of his home. But now they're all grown up. And they're fighting with alongside their, their father. He's not mm-hmm. put to shame when he goes against his opponents in the city gates or when he's protecting it. He has his sons, his grown sons now, mm-hmm. those arrows that he was sharpening and molding for, for 20 years. And now they're standing with him. So there's, there's like yeah. a... Yeah, yeah, and I look at I look at that too, is because uh, it says he'll speak with his enemies uh, when he speaks to his enemies at the right? city gate. Yeah, that's right. I I look at that as a surrender, you know, like like the man and his sons like caused the man caused the enemy to want to surrender, so he has oh, to come like and meet that. them at the gate. Yeah, I like that. That's awesome. <laughs> that's really good. Cool. So anyway, so, so that that's kind of our framework. I just wanted to kind of like summarize and, and recap it, but just giving firing off now, you know, for, for the sake of time, trying to give, um, some of the specifics. Um, so I'll, I'll just get right at it. Uh, what, what forms of birth control, um, should be considered unethical. They, they're just off limits, um, for Christians or yeah, really for all so, people, but, but Christians should obey. Um, yeah, obviously ab- abortion. Some people do view that as birth control. Um, are you 486, which is the morning after pill? Um, mm-hmm. That's clearly wrong, um, and uh, because we believe, uh, you know, a fetus is not just a fetus; it's a baby and uh, mm-hmm. made in the image of God. And so, um, there are some. Uh, th- there's a couple that I I think need to be talked about, and I don't think most yeah. Christians do. Um, when you talk about the pill, and you right. talk about um, the IUD. Do right, a little yep. Google research. I encourage you guys to do a little bit of Google research on this. And what you'll discover is that uh, most people will say, um, everyone, maybe. Uh, okay, so it's actually, it's debated amongst Christians, um, like Protestant Christians, whether, uh, whether those are okay. But, um, but in my opinion, the ones who debate it who debate against it just really haven't fully done their research um, because the IUD and the pill um, both can result in abortions. Now it might not be intentional. It might not be intentional. Um, But again, I said, do your research, Google Mm -hmm. it. Does this ever abort? Now the thing is it aborts differently. Uh, It, it aborts like before it's ever implanted on uh, Uh in the uterus. And so, um, so it aborts differently, and so sometimes it kind of passes under the radar for Christians, I think. And I think Christians right. will innocently get an IUD, or they'll mm-hmm. innocently take the pill. Now, the pill has other issues, too, and it affects hormones. And so, mm-hmm. um, for instance, I, I'm thinking of a Christian couple in my church uh, that they, they were on the pill, and, and they were telling me about it afterward. They were saying, 
we got it with, we got on the pill and then we got off and the reason we got off is because now they didn't know anything about the abortion side of things right. but uh but they were talking about uh the effect that it had upon her she's getting pounding headaches and all of these like different like she was just having these emotional swings it does affect you hormonally that's something to consider um now um Anyway, so I, I would just say, Google it, do your research. I wouldn't feel comfortable getting uh, either of those. It, it sounded like that's where you stand yeah. too, Joel. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, I, uh, great job. I, that's that's what I would have said. And and I, you know, to flesh it out like a little bit more, like I, um, you know, because I remember, you know, at my previous church in San Diego, I remember with my elders, you know, I don't know, maybe five years ago. I, I don't know, but we were working through this issue. And, um, and we disagreed, uh, in terms of, uh, whether or not we should, we should, um, actually, actually put it in our membership covenant, um, for formal membership in the church in terms of, uh, specifically the pill. Um, but we, we came to the same conclusions, uh, fairly quickly because you're right. All it takes is a little bit of research. And there were, and there were people I noticed, you know, just pastorally as I, as I dealt with congregants, there were occasionally times where people, part of the reason they had no clue wasn't just because they were ignorant. Um, but part of the reason they didn't Google it, they didn't search is because they, they actually did ask, they asked their doctor and, the, and their doctor assured them that it was not abortive because um, come to find out uh, I'm, a lot of the scientific community has, has changed the definition of when life, human life begins in the womb. So they've changed it from what we would hold and what, what we would say that Christendom has, has held for a very long time in terms of fertilization. It's, it's been changed to implantation. And so a doctor yep. with a straight face will, will sit there and say, no, it's not abortive. No way. Yeah, you know? that's actually, and, but, if you look. You know what I mean? Go ahead. Yeah. If you and, so I'm just saying, hobby, so you have to clarify with that. That's exactly right. And that's what's happening. That's what's happening. So good Christian couples are getting IUDs or they're, uh, or they're taking the pill for that very reason. My doctor said it's not abortive. Okay. Well, um, that's the key. What, what's the word again? Starts with an I. Uh, M, implantation I versus implantation. fertilization. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Yep. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So they don't. If you look up the Hobby Lobby case, where Hobby Lobby went all the way to the Supreme right. Court over Obamacare and all of this, so like what Hobby Lobby was calling an abortion, and the, the Atlantic wrote an article about this some time ago. I, I remember, but um, anyway, what Hobby Lobby is calling an abortion is they're saying, hey. If it's fertilized and and it kills that fertilized egg, that is an abortion. And so there was a debate over that. And so, right. um, and so as Christians, we would say yes, the fertilization of the egg. That is when right. life begins. So as a pastor, I would recommend people don't get an IUD. I would recommend mm-hmm. people don't do, uh, don't do the pill. Um, right. There are other forms of birth control. There is uh, there are condoms. Uh, there are, uh, of course, and there's natural fa- family planning, and they can they're getting pretty sophisticated with that now. Um, abstinence. There's right, which abstinence. natural planning. Yeah, strongly, yeah, exactly. Well, I'm just saying you just strongly I'm saying abstinence in marriage. You're waiting that. for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but even in marriage, like you know, Paul talks about like you could. For a you, season. you could abstain. Yeah. Abstain. He uses the word abstain for a season to devote yourselves to prayer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so I think that's uh, that. Those are reasonable. I, so I would just say, um, for the everyday married couple, probably my pastoral recommendation would be a condom. I know there's in some ways maybe not preferable, but um, <laughs> it's also not preferable 
to kill babies. And so that's right. Um, and so right. that's why. And you don't have to, you know, just we're not trying to be frank or crude, but just to be helpful and to be clear, you, the way that a woman's anatomy works, you don't have to wear a condom as a husband every time that uh, you make love to your wife. Uh, there's mm-hmm. only certain times where, you know, if you're in that time, you're trying to wait, um, you would need to wear a condom when she's ovulating, you know. Right. And, so you might do a combination uh, you might say, well, of the man, you're getting fa- kind of risky. Go ahead. Right. So you're suggesting maybe a combination of natural family planning with condom during fertile days. Yeah. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah, well, I'm saying condom, I'm saying even like get the family planning out of there, just, just condom during fertile days and then have at it, you know, the rest of the time. Now, I mean, just, you know, that, that's, I think between the husband and the wife. And I think that some of these things are worth bringing a pastor in. I think that can be done mm-hmm. appropriately where uh, godly counsel can be given and where you're not being crude and you're not being um, inappropriate. Um, but even, even with that, I think you, you, there's, there needs to be a carefulness. Like what are your motives? What are you, you know, what are you trying to do? Is it just cause yeah. oh, we just really wanted to go on that vacation or we just really, you know, there's, there's serious questions to ask, but r- real quick, I, I just did want to comment on the, uh, the hormonal birth control pill. Uh, just so, mm-hmm. cause some people may not understand exactly how it works and in a nutshell from what I've been able to, you know, doing my research as a pastor so that I could counsel people in the, in the church. I, um, you know, there's three main um, measures of, of stopping pregnancy um, or, you know, having a woman not get pregnant, two of them are preventative, but, but the last one is abortive. And so one is the, the thickening of the cervical fluid uh, to where the, the sperm just can't, you know, unlikely that they're going to make it through. It's going to, you know, too thick. They can't swim. Um, the second is uh, stopping the ovulation process. So that, you know, even the, if the sperm make it through the thickened cervical fluid, um, there's not an egg at the, at the end of the journey for them to, to, um, mm-hmm. to fertilize. And then the third is a thinning. And then this is the one that matters. It's the thinning of the uterine lining. And, um, and, and that's the one that, that would not be preventative, but that, that would be abortive if we believe that life begins at fertilization. And so, um, mm-hmm. that, that would mean that if a, if a sperm could make it to the egg and did fertilize the egg, the egg would have nowhere to go. It would not have a hospitable, mm-hmm. um, in environment habitat for, um, and so it would, it wouldn't be able to attach to, to the lining of the uterine wall and it would fall off. And here's, and here's one of the tragic things. And again, I think a lot of Christians just, they, they don't know they're not educated and their doctors sure as heck aren't helping them because they have a, a worldview that's antithetical to, to the Christian worldview. Mo- not all doctors, there could be a Christian doctor, but many doctors. And, and so one of the, the side effects, long lasting effects is Christians get off of the pill. Christian women get off of the pill and, and, and they want to get pregnant and they want to have a baby, or maybe they just come to the conviction. We're not going to use the pill anymore. Um, but, but what, what is possible, not in all cases, but what is possible is that the cervical fluid, uh, that, that, you know, one of the effects was it's thickening from the pill. Well, well that effect can, uh, will drop off quickly when you go off the pill. Um, ovulation mm-hmm. that, that you could go back to an ovulation, healthy ovulation cycle quickly when you go off the pill. Um, but, but there's been, you know, research done that, um, the, the, the uterine wall, the lining, um, may, may not thicken for, for several months, even in some cases a year or two. And so a husband and wife go off the pill, and let's say they're Christians, and, and they don't know this. And so now they're trying to get pregnant. And unbeknownst to them, you know, the, the, the sperm is getting through. She's ovulating. The egg is in place. 
it's being fertilized, and they have no clue, but it's her, her uterine lining. The egg has nowhere to go. Dead. Mm-hmm. Dead. And that could, that could happen every month for months. They could, they could mm-hmm. inadvertently, and I know this is strong language, but I want people to feel the weight of it. So I want to be sympathetic to, to, to the ignorance, but they could inadvertently kill six children. Now, that's a real mm-hmm. scenario. And, and if we think in biblical terms of what a child, you know, that, that is, the, I think, the accurate language, uh, that a Christian couple could inadvertently, emphasis on that, inadvertently kill six of their own children. Um, and, and, and so it is, it's a really, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. Yeah. And I think so, it's so foreign to so many Christians are like, what? You guys think that the birth control, pill, you, like, you guys are so conservative, you know, and it's, it's like, no, I mean, it's a pretty easy argument to make. Mm-hmm. Really? Absolutely. Were you going to say something? Oh, well, there's, there's a couple of more points uh, to hit on. I know we're trying to go fast here as we're trying to yeah, tie yeah. it up. Um, uh, one is permanent birth control, um, such as a vasectomy or a woman, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, getting the tubes tied. and Which would um, be preventative. Yeah. Not abortive. Those, those would be preventative. So I, I think where I would stand on that, I, I think there could be situations like a health of the mother, health of the father, uh, I guess, well, father, I don't know how much that's an issue, but health of the mother, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. particularly, um, I could see an issue there. Um, I could also see, I, I don't know, I would be open to this, like, um, someone's having a baby at 39 or 40 and it's kind of like getting up there in years and maybe they have a C-section and doctor's like, do you want us to tie the tubes now? I could see the, the woman maybe saying yes, because like, do I want to have a baby at 41, 42? These are risky pregnancies. Yeah. You know, I could see those scenarios. Um, I could um, see that, yeah. And and so, uh, but I, I think I would just say, I'd just be real careful with it. Like the idea of like being 34 years old and getting a vasectomy because you have your two kids, uh, I would right. be against that. Um, but <laughs> really all of this just, all of it comes back to motive, you know? Well, I won't say all of it. So some of it comes back to, am I killing a baby or not? Once we get past that into like maybe potentially permissible territory it's what is my motive is it to protect the health of uh of the mother is it to go on more caribbean vacations you know like what's my real motive right. here is it because children You're are like, hard and i don't yeah. want more children i you know so so yep. much comes back to motive i think the other thing i would say now my view toward church history is that church history okay so the bible is my authority, sola scriptura, right? Um, but I would say that church history provides a guardrail, right? Like, so if somebody believed what the church has believed for 2,000 years, I'm as their pastor, I'm going to feel comfortable. Like, oh, okay, good. You believe what the church has believed. It's when we get outside of what the church has historically believed. Hey, I got a new doctrine I just, you know, God revealed to me. Like, no, right? right? Um, so church history is important in that regard, even if it is you know, below scripture in authority. And what I would say on that is that throughout church history, the church has actually been against birth control. And yep. uh, including the reformers, our, our beloved John Calvin. That's right. Um, yep, that's right. And, you know, name a reformer. I, I it, Again, it's been some time, but I, I've read just tons and tons of church history on this. I don't think I ever found anyone that was okay with it. <laughs> Right. So, like, there actually is a reason 
that the Roman Catholic Church holds the position that they do. Yeah. It it right. grew out of that. And so um I I have sympathy toward that position. You know, like the Duggars, you know, nineteen and counting, mm-hmm. what is it, twenty two and counting? Right. I don't even know what it's at now. I, right. I think yeah. the danger, like somebody who comes out of the quiverful movement, is if they try mm-hmm. to put that on everyone and say everybody needs to have twenty two kids or they're sinning, right? Like that's a mm-hmm. problem, I think. But um but if somebody just decides to have a whole bunch of kids on their own, I ain't got no problem with it. I think that's great. It's, yeah, it's not. And I, it's, and I, I would actually argue that in many ways, it, it, it seems to be the easier position to defend. It, yeah, I would agree. I would agree. It seems to be the easy. So and, I think like, I think you have to be careful if you're, you know, if you're of the, the quiverful mentality, which just for the record, I think you and I would both say, that we're of the quiver, like we believe we Psalm one twenty seven, right? So, like, what what are we going to say? We're not like, yeah, we like we're we're inerrantists and we you know sola scriptura, but Psalm one twenty seven, you know, we, we just mm-hmm. opt out of that. Like, so I I want to have a full quiver. I, I think what we're quibbling over with the quiver, the quiver quibble is, um, you know, is is I don't know how many how many how many what is a full quiver? You know, mm-hmm. like eight eight might. You know, that sounds like a pretty full quiver, you know, and then somebody else is 22 or nothing, you know, and like, you know, and so now, now to be fair to, to the guys who would hold to like onanism being a sin, you know, and the, and the quiver full mentality, um, I think what they would say is like, well, you don't have to determine a number. I, I know they would say this. They would say, you don't have to determine a number, Joel. Um, you let God determine the number and mm-hmm. you just, you just love your wife. Mm-hmm. See that? I mean that, and so I don't know, just to, that's defensible. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how, you know, what, what, you know, what, what's the counter? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's tough. I, I mean, it's an easy position I, I, to defend. So it, it is, it is, but okay. If I was to try to like, maybe yeah, defend try. Our, our more <laughs> moderating position. So like, okay. Giving is a blessing, right? Giving financially. Would you agree with that? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Does that mean that in every single scenario that um, if you want the most blessed life, you will literally give away every penny that you have because it's more blessed? See, okay. So just, you know, just for fun, I'll, I'll, I'll play that. So that's a good one. Um, so what I would say is yes. Um, I think every, um, every <laughs> Christian uh, and not just every Christian, here's the irony. I would say every single human being by, by necessity does give away every penny they have Um through death. And the question is, um, the only reason that we wait to give our pennies now is so that we can give more pennies later. So I am going to give every penny I have. And so are you, whether you like it or not to something or someone, I would like to give them to my children and grandchildren and to the church of Christ. So I want to give it to the church. And, but first and foremost, my children and children's children, a wise man, a good man, leaves inheritance for his children's children. And the only reason like the prodigal son that, that I don't want to give, you know, (laughs) the reprobate son, um, his, his part portion of the inheritance, uh, today is because I want to give him more later and I would like him to be a little older and a little bit more mature and able to steward it better. But just, you know, I, so I would say, yeah, we do want to give every penny. And the only reason we don't give them all today is because we want to be able to give more pennies later. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> what do you, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, where I was going with it was if, it is always more blessed to give than to to give than to receive. Then, 
there's a feasible scenario. Well, yeah, I don't know. That's a that's a that's a pretty decent response, Joel. I don't know what I would say. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I just, it just yeah. came to me because again, I've been I've been reading a decent amount of Thomas Sowell lately, <laughs> so economics <laughs> has been been on the brain. But I I know your general point. I but, know what you're making, and just saying that like. Yeah, like is it? I, I think it's what I was saying earlier in terms of just um, is there something to be said well, for for timing? Is there something to be said for okay? Like I'm, I'm waiting now because because even like ec- economically, you know, it may be that like all right, like I'm not going to make this economic choice today because I want to make this choice later on uh, tomorrow, and I think and 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 I'll have more if I'm willing to wait. Um, and and so I think it could be possible that you know a young couple. Where, you know, let's say the husband, you know, they want to be in ministry. The husband's still in seminary. The wife is, is having to, to work at that point. And they're like, man, you know what? Our first, our first three, four years of marriage, we're going to wait. Um, and we're not going to, we're going to be, you know, we're not going to use anything that would even risk the opportunity of being aborted by nature in terms of, of birth control. Um, but we, our intention is to, you know, God can do anything and we trust him, you know, so, but our intention, as far as man making his plans, our plan is to wait for the next four years. Why, while, you know, our husband, you know, tries, uh, my husband tries to finish seminary and, um, and, you know, like, I think that that, like, I would see that as a reason, you know, and I think a couple like that could, you know, they could get married, for instance, they could get married at 21, 22, start having kids at 25 and, maybe not Duggar level 22 kids, but they could have 10 kids, you know, if the Lord yeah. wills, like it's within the, you know yeah. what I mean? So I, I think that, yeah, and I would, you know, I, I would look at that and say, I don't know if I really have. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think for me, I like just being a, being a pastor of a church, I, I try to teach the basic biblical principles and I'll, I'll give my best hunch on how that plays out in the nitty gritty of life but I do try to avoid controlling people in the nitty gritty of life where it's not crystal clear in the scripture. Um, I don't think the, the scripture is crystal clear that everyone needs to have 22 kids or their, or their son. I agree. I, agree. I, I think that the wisdom of Proverbs and, uh, and planning and what that looks like, you know, I, and even loving, loving one's neighbor, health of the mother kind of deal. I think there are certain mitigating scenarios that maybe uh, common sense would speak into that I think that we yeah. should allow for. But as a general rule, I would encourage people to have lots of kids. Uh, the other yep. thing I, I want to say, and I maybe agree. as a more final note, is I know some of your viewing audience might be older, might be like, hey, I've already had my one kid. I've already had my two kids. And I can't go back and have a whole bunch of kids. But I can mm-hmm. see I had a worldly uh, worldly lifestyle back then, or I, a worldly view. Maybe I even loved Jesus, but I was just, you know, I kind of was looking at this from a world's perspective, but now I feel convicted by it. Um, well, I, I, to you, I would say, um, go to Jesus, tell him you're sorry. And then the great commission still applies to you. Go and make disciples of mm-hmm. all nations. You can still yeah. do that. And that's part of the beauty of the clarity that Jesus brought us when he became cosmic king and Lord at the, uh, after the resurrection and ascension and all authority was, uh, was given to him in heaven on earth. And he commissioned us to make disciples. Uh, it, it brought a clarity that, Hey, this is an ongoing thing. It's not just when your kids are, you know, toddling around, this is like your whole life. You are a disciple maker. So right. go to Jesus, get your forgiveness. If, 
if if you were doing it for worldly reasons. I'm not saying mm-hmm. right, right. And, and actually, on that note, yeah, I need maybe. to say another thing, and that is, we as Christians don't need to go around judging everybody who has a small household. Mm-hmm. Some people can't have kids. Some people could right. only have one. Some could only have two. Um, right. Some didn't find Jesus until later. You know, there's just so many scenarios. Um, that's just not the kind of thing we need to go around judging people for. Yep. I agree. I agree. It's just, again, it goes back to that perspicuity of scripture. We, we believe the scripture speaks to all of life and doctrine. Having children is certainly something that the scripture speaks to, but this, the scripture doesn't speak to every single arena of life with the same measure of clarity. Mm-hmm. And what, and what we're talking about is, I mean, you're, you're not even just talking about children, the Bible speaks volumes to parenting and mm-hmm. children, the blessing of children. But we're talking about a, a specific subpoint under that topic of children. How many, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and um, yeah, it's just, you know, again, yeah. I think like it's, it's a, it is, you know, the argument of like how many let the Lord decide. Um, mm-hmm. I get that. I really do get that. And, uh, and I, I think that that is a fine position to take. And it may be the the more biblical position. And it's certainly, as you said earlier, seems to be the witness of church history and my favorite portion of church history, the reformer. So not a bad stance to take. Um, but I do agree with you in terms of, of um, mm-hmm. how, how we engage in that conversation with others. Um, because even though I think that that may be the most defensible position to take and, and perhaps the mm-hmm. most biblically faithful position to take, I think it's still different than salvation by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone. Right. Salvation by grace alone through, you know, through faith alone and Christ alone is the best position to take. It's the only position to take. Um, But it's also really clear. It's really Mm -hmm. clear. It's the crux of the whole scripture. You know, so so when someone says, well, I, you know, I think we're saved by grace plus sacraments or we're saved by through faith plus works, you know, and and in Christ plus saints, you know, and to the glory of God, plus the glory of the Pope and his tradition and scripture. Like and we say, like, dude, you you missed it. And, and I would have no problem. Obviously I just described Catholicism, but I would have no problem talking to, you know, to, well, I think there are a lot of regenerate Catholics because I think there are a lot of bad Catholics, um, but mm-hmm. to good Catholics, you know, cause if you're a good Catholic, then, then I think you're in danger um, because you're actually prescribing to Catholic doctrine. I think lots of people come to Christ despite Catholic doctrine, but not because of it. And so if you got a good Catholic, that's, you know, I would push back on that good Catholic and say, dude, the Bible's clear. And I, and I, and I would, I would be pretty aggressive. Whereas I would not, you know, go to that couple in a church that has two kids and say, dude, clear as day. You're in sin. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? It's just not, Yeah, it's not the yeah. same. And I think, I yeah, think you but it's important to have That's these, it's important to have these conversations though. Uh, because it I is. think for you, yeah. for you and me, the biggest thing is worldview, worldview yes. values. Worldview. Do I value what God values? If I do yes. and I'm married, I'm going to want to have a lot of kids. And if I Amen. don't feel that value in my heart, I should uh, repent, turn to Jesus, and ask him to make my heart feel uh, feel about things the way he does. Amen. I think that's great. So let's, let's go ahead and uh, close for all of our listeners who are tuning in, uh, viewers. Um, you know the drill. What we do at the end of each of our episodes of Theology Applied is we ask our guests to stay on for an additional five, ten minutes. Me and Michael go way back. Um, as uh, you've probably told in this episode, like we we have some differences because I was a part of your church fifteen years ago, you know, and and we you know we've gone different directions in some regard. But Michael, mm-hmm. still to this day, I, I have to say, 
Um, Michael can quote scripture um, better than just about any, I think better than anyone that I at least personally know. Uh, he loves the Bible. Uh, he remembers a time when, you know, when I used to love the Bible and the Holy Spirit. Now I just love the Bible. No, I'm just <laughs> That's what he would want to say and take on me with the gift because I'm a cessationist now. But Michael loves the Bible. I love the Bible. We both love the Holy Spirit. We have a different view on the gifts. Um, but but he's uh, he loves the scripture. He's a godly man. And although we disagree on a few things, um, we go way back. And because we go way back, uh, we tend to have longer conversations. So I know this episode is a little bit long. And uh, we typically go five, 10 minutes on the bonus edition. But if you tune in, um, if you're one of our responders, one of our club members, you all the bonus materials uh, available for you. And uh, I encourage you to do that if you haven't done it already. And if you do it, I say it's five or 10 minutes, but who knows? You might, you might be in for a half hour. So we'll, we'll see. So anyways, here's our bonus question. Uh, just to whet your appetite, a little incentive here. Um, how would you defend, we've already been dancing around it and addressing it to some extent, but how would you defend the withdrawal method Right, so absence of condom could be that, or withdrawal, or um, how would you defend that method and/or the use of condoms in light of God killing Onan in Genesis chapter thirty-eight, verse six through eleven? Um, so that's yeah. our bonus question. We're gonna let, don't answer it. We're gonna come come back on. So that's our bonus question. We're gonna end the episode. Michael, you get the last word. T- tell people how they can follow you. What you know, what they should know, how they can keep up. Okay, sure. Uh, well, uh, you can find me on my church website, Wellspring, uh, actually website, who cares? Just go to my YouTube page. You can listen to my sermons, my preaching, uh, there. So go into YouTube, Wellspring, just search Wellspring Church DFW. That stands for Dallas, Fort Worth. Uh, another way is that you can, um, uh, actually another way you can engage with me would be through, uh, my YouTube channel called Remnant Radio or The Remnant Radio. And uh, and you can see that's more of like an interview format, kind of like this, but uh, pastors and theologians from all over the world and all across denominations. So um, next week we have, oh, you'll like this, Joel. We have Dr. Tom Schreiner coming on the show nice. to talk cessationism. Oh, my nice. Co- my co-host and I are continuationists. So, uh, right. But that's the kind of show that we are. We have uh, we have people come on that sometimes we vehemently disagree with, and uh, and sometimes that we agree with too. So uh, anyway, so check out the Remnant Radio. Uh, check out Wellspring Church DFW. Uh, I've been on a writing leave for five weeks, so you'll have to go back a little bit to hear any of my preaching. But uh, uh, anyway, I, I'll be on for uh, the next number of weeks before I get a break. So uh, anyway, you can check it out that way. Or you can follow. Awesome. I have Thanks like I have show. like seventeen Twitter followers because I don't tweet enough. But Entry eighty one, <laughs> you can look me up there. I'd like to have eighteen followers. Nice. Well, hopefully we'll get you that eighteenth follower. So, all right. Thanks <laughs> for coming on the show, Michael. Appreciate yeah. it. As a special thank you for your gift of any amount, we'll be happy to send you a free digital book from our store. To access this offer, visit rightresponseministries.com/offer. We highly recommend Pastor Joel's book, Am I Truly Saved? If you or someone you know has wrestled with doubts about the love of God, this would be a great resource. As a reminder, to get this offer, go to rightresponseministries.com offer. And thank you for your generous support.